We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. What's up, everyone, and an early happy Thanksgiving episode 69 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And fun fact, to kick off today's show, there's never been a number 69 in Mets history. So no number segment, or there it is right there. Maybe that trend will be broken, but considering how many players they used last year, I think it's safe to say this might be one of those unbreakable records unless somebody really wants to wear it. Joe, let's bring you in. Happy early Thanksgiving to you, my friend. And this MLB offseason is officially going in full swing. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you and to everybody else uh, that listens, obviously. I hope you have a, a good break if you get some time off of work and everything and enjoy some football, some food, all the good stuff that comes with Thanksgiving. And, of course... When we hit Thanksgiving Day, there will be one week left until what is likely to be a lockout starts. Uh, You know, if they do not come to a new agreement on a collective bargaining agreement by December 1st, the league will lock the players out from any activity starting on December 2nd. So it's uh, up down to the crunch here as far as being able to make some moves before there's a break that could be weeks could be upwards of two months some believe so it's gonna be i think an eventful few days here in baseball i'm intrigued to see how eventful it is for the new york mets though absolutely and you know to kind of get out in front of that um pending lockout which is expected you know a guy that we've talked about a lot in the show and say uh, suzuki i know we've had the question for a long time of what happens to him? Because when an international player like himself is posted for 30 days, well, that period will just freeze. So you don't have to worry about that timer uh, trickling down during the lockout. It affects obviously all of MLB, but it also affects something all the way down to an international player being posted uh, to come over to the major league. So it will be a true full shutdown. There are really no wrinkles, no cracks here. And that's why this next week or so is going to be really interesting to watch as a lot of the insiders and people around baseball uh, have their eyes on key free agents that do want to make this decision before the lockout. They want this to be done. They want to know where they're playing. They want to sign a contract and assuming that it's, you know, they're comfortable with the term that they're offered. And one of those names has been Javi Baez so far, where, uh, Andy Martino has from SMY has said, you know, since Billy Epler took over, the Mets have ramped up communication with Javi Baez, and he's one of those guys that really a lot of people think will make this decision where he's going uh, before the expected lockout goes underway. A player like Baez, of course, that can play short, that can play second at an extremely high level, hits for power, runs the base as well. Of course, a very entertaining personality around baseball. I'm sure his market has been pretty good. Uh, I've never been one to buy these one-year deals for Baez. I think he's going to get in the range of a five-year contract, and I do hope it's from the Mets. So that's one that's really been um, you know, highlighted recently, Joe. Do you think, one, do you see a pl- – why would a player like Baez kind of – 
uh, try to make that decision right before any player try to make that decision before the lockout rather than wait it out? And and two, do you think that's the order of business that makes sense for the Mets right now as they're entering this crunch time period? I think it's just everyone has their own situation. Some people, like you said, they want to settle, especially if it's a player that's signing a multi-year deal. They might want to say, all right, where am I buying a home? And do I want to wait until sometime in February to, and then have to like panic, try to find something really quick? Uh, there's a lot of factors that go into when they make their decision. And, you know, there's some guys that, you know, maybe the market is just aggressive out the gate and you strike while the iron's hot. And with Baez, you're talking about a guy that's in a loaded shortstop or infield market, let's just call it, because he could he'd be a second baseman here and, you know, Semyon could be a second baseman somewhere else. Uh, but in a loaded infield class, you wonder if it makes sense to be the first one to bite on a contract and get that big money, get the money now, rather than waiting it out and then maybe getting squeezed. Because, you know, Correa could take his time, Trevor Story, those guys could all take their time. And if you wait along with those guys, that doesn't necessarily mean that really nice contract is coming your way when things fall apart. So I think if if there's years and money there for Javi, uh, it makes some sense to pounce, whether that's the Mets or somewhere else. But I certainly think the Mets are a, a very good option for Javi to stay with. And I think they're very interested. Lindor is interested. Uh, Steve Cohen said some nice things about him at Billy Epler's press, press conference that they had dinner after the season and he likes him. So uh, I, I'm thinking it feels like a match, but you know, we'll, we'll find out in the next week or so. It certainly does. There's been a lot of hints along the way, you know, although we've been surprised like a guy like Syndergaard going to the angels a guy like Aaron loop, which we'll get into in a second, going to the angels uh, really out of nowhere with no buzz building up for either of those guys before that. But with Javi, you have a lot of different things here. And Martino's done a really good job. He's been all over this saying, you know, Cohen was one that said they, they had dinner after the season. Obviously, Steve Cohen is a big fan of Baez. You gave up a, a top one of the top prospects for him already. Although for Epler coming in, he's kind of had this clean slate. Um, the relationship with Lindor how well Javi played here, the fact that he has been a championship ball player before. I've really tried to hammer home the point on this show that I think one underlying thing the Mets really need to attack this offseason, uh, quite similar to they, they did building up to 2015 in a way with Curtis Granderson, is getting veteran players that are going to be ready for the spotlight when the big games are being played. The regular season's great, it's long, um, all of those things. But at the end of the day, October baseball is where the memories are made. And a guy like Javi Baez has shined before and played in those big moments and been on team, a team that has won a World Series. So I think that's going to be an interesting uh, storyline to follow because it's pretty clear that every side and even Martino said that Javi really liked Cohen's vision, really liked the fact that he is invested in building a winner. And you have to realize a guy like Baez that was on a Cubs core with him, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, on and on and on the stars' names go. To be a part of something like that and watch it all traded away, literally all of it, for what we're assuming and what we've heard for so long in Chicago is financial reasons, right? You're never going to keep everyone. That's just not possible really across baseball. But to not keep anyone... Uh, that sticks with the guy. So as much as there's been a lot of rumors, I know John Heyman keeps predicting him to go to back to Chicago. I, I don't know. I think a guy that cares that much about winning, I think that will matter so much that for me, you know, I'm obviously biased, but I think the Mets deservedly are understandably a top contender to retain his services just because the fit on both sides really does add up. But moving to Aaron Loop, who I mentioned earlier, you and I have had a lot of good, you know, off-air conversations about this, and he was somebody that on previous shows we kind of expected back. We assumed that there'd be a way to get this done. Even when the deal came down, I think it's two years, $17 million. There might be a third-year option somewhere in there. But overall, it, nothing insane. I mean, obviously, it's something that the Mets could have very well matched if Loop wanted to be here. But at the end of the day, I really liked your point. You've said to me over and over again, Joe, two things. One, 
there's essentially no chance, and you can come back to us if this does happen, there's essentially no chance Aaron Loop is going to repeat the year he just had, which is one of the best reliever years in the last decade or so. And, and number two, really good front offices and, and places with advanced analytics departments and scouting departments, they go sign the next Aaron Loop for that one-year, $5 million deal, one-year, $3 million deal. They don't give out these multi-year, double-digit contracts to relievers. So what was your ultimate takeaway as this one came down? I thought it was a, a reasonable contract, and had the Mets decided to give it, I wouldn't have killed them for it. Um, but I also don't kill them for not doing so. Uh, I think Loop historically has been a solid, perfectly fine reliever, and I, I just think back to maybe not exactly this time last year, but last offseason, Mets fans were complaining that the Mets were lowballing and not bringing back Justin Wilson. Who I hated. Oh, my and, God. Yeah. But, yes, you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. You're everyone absolutely wanted, right. Everyone wanted Justin Wilson back. He ended up signing a two-year deal with the Yankees. Hor- he pitched horribly, and I think he got traded to Cincinnati or something just to, like, shed money. Um, so Justin Wilson didn't work out and they signed Aaron loop and everyone's just like, uh, loop one year, 3 million. That's, that's not going to work out. <laughs> Who's this? So, yeah. So it's one of those things that relievers are fickle. They're replaceable. Um, the smart, good teams are finding the next Aaron loop, not paying Aaron loop again. Um, so you hope the Mets are becoming that organization, uh, with the fact of their ever growing analytics department, which, you know, in the next month or two, we'll probably be in excess of 30 people involved in that department, which is, you know, still not the biggest in baseball, but a drastic improvement from just two years ago where they had two full-time employees and three interns. So they had a five-person staff. Uh, so obviously significant growth there. I'm relying on those people to help me identify who the next Aaron Loop is. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to sign this left-hand reliever and that guy's going to go post the 0.95 ERA. But you just find the next good reliever that like you said you get for a year and 3 million and then you just you just recycle these guys. You you really want to build your own bullpen arms in the farm system uh through starters that don't pan out as starters or you know just some hard-throwing reliever prospects and then you fi- you throw in the prospects here and there. Um, I'm sorry, you throw in the free agents here and there along with those prospects. And that's that's how the smart teams are building bullpens nowadays. Uh, you don't see the Tampa Bay Rays out there giving out multi-year deals to middle relievers. Frankly, you don't even really see the Dodgers do it that much. Um, I know they did with Joe Kelly, and that didn't even work out swimmingly. Uh, but they signed, you know, guys like uh, Trinan for a year, guys like Corey Knable for a year. Like, that's really the way you build a pen. So, you know, I'm glad for Loop. He, earn, he earned his $17 million and there is a third-year option in there that I think would bring it to 23 and a half or something like that. Um, so he pitched to earn that contract, and, you know, I hope it goes well for him. He could buy a whole bunch of Bush Light now, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But the Mets, that's, again, another thing that they'll have to replace is, all right, now you just add more to the list. So that's kind of the the big picture talk is you just add another need to a team that's chock full of them. Right. And you make a great point. I think it's awesome for Aaron Loop, somebody that, you know, a lefty specialist that he could, he could be looking at his career with the three batter rule and, and go, oh, man, like, you know, will I ever – Will I, will I ever get that kind of contract? And he goes out and has just a remarkable year and, you know, gets a $17 million. That's life-changing money for him and his family for a long time. But on the flip side, and you and I have been selling things both ways so far. We did it with Cindergard, who, you know, I, I, would, I almost would rather have loop back than Cindergard. But the reality is he's turning 34 in December, so this isn't a young guy. And relievers pitch for a while, so that might not be a huge factor. But you do look at it and go, man, like, they are paying, right, with that contract. You're paying for pretty much the career year Aaron Loop. But what if he does revert back to the guy that, for the most part, hovers around that four ERA range, right? I mean, 
that's kind of who he is. Um, and maybe it's it probably will be somewhere in the middle for him with the Angels. But at the end of the day, getting away from Loop, what matters is exactly what you said. The Mets have to go build a bullpen, and they need to do it responsibly not just it's not a situation where it's like the will ponds right where they could never go out and buy certain things just because they didn't have the money to do so but responsibly because you need to build a program that's sustainable and paying relievers every year is not a sustainable mlb strategy if you actually look into you know the guys that do get these contracts every year the teams that have gone out and tried to buy bullpens the failure rate of it is astronomical and even look at the Mets last year they went out and signed a guy right out of the gate in Trevor May who I absolutely liked when they did it and wasn't abysmal right I mean he had a 359 ERA he's not a, a I know fans piled on Trevor May a lot but I didn't think Trevor May was bad last year but he also wasn't a game-changing reliever by any stretch of the means for someone that essentially got that contract, right? A two-year, $15.5 million deal. It's a little bit below the loop deal. So it just goes to show you it's a it's a tricky thing in baseball to go pay relievers. I think it's hard because Mets fans can't see this right now, but it's something you point to all the time. What they're building behind the scenes with a totally beefed-up data department, right? It, people hate the word analytics, so I'll use data department for you. Re- research and development is the actual Perfect. name of it. Yeah. Yes, perfect. And, and that goes beyond external acquisitions, right? It goes into who's in our farm system that we might have throwing as a starter, but we should be prepping him as this kind of specialist in this kind of role. I mean, how many relievers go through seven different teams until they have a career year? Because teams, that guy might not know something about himself. That franchise might not know something about him. So I think this is huge for the Mets. And you point to the Dodgers and, and the Rays, teams like that. They are so good at this year after year. And I would rather see the Mets steer their eyes towards building that infrastructure than trying to constantly put a Band-Aid over it by signing highly paid relievers every single offseason. It's okay to do it every now and then, right? Like, you need a setup, man, if that was a black hole on your team or something like that. I totally understand it. But the sustainability of that strategy literally does not work in baseball, and it's proven. 100% proven. I mean, that's what, like I said, that's what the smart teams are doing. I mean, the Braves aren't paying... They paid Will Smith, and that's really it. Everyone else got, you know, lower end deals that matters in their bullpen. So that that's really the way to do it. And you know, they'll just find a new Aaron Loop. I know it's everyone enjoyed him, and he was a great press conference. He was a great pitcher. Like I completely understand if you're upset that he's gone, uh, but let's let this play out. I know we ha- we're going to have you know a, a very long winter, unfortunately. Uh, they just have to they just have to find a new version of him and you know i'm confident that if they did it last year they hopefully could do it again uh, but you know it's there there's there are lefties out there that are intriguing there's for sure a guy like Jake Deekman a guy like Andrew Chafin who got traded at the deadline like there's lefties out there that you could sign that can be useful and like you said hopefully this analytics department and player development system is really focusing on some of the under the radar guys in the farm system that are so so starters that may translate into better relievers and they have some guys that throw hard in the upper minors too so uh, there are you know some things potentially coming down the pike uh, but they need to constantly add to that all right so sticking with the pitching I think the most notable rumor going around in Mets land and it's not really a rumor Anthony Nicomo of MLB.com has, has been all over this is that the Mets have been interested in a reuniting with Steven Matz, which is fascinating for a lot of reasons. I felt like, and once again, it's Billy Epler was not the guy when they traded him. So I want to be fair to Billy Epler that, you know, he's going to get this clean slate in here and really do things the way he wants to. But one of the storylines around when Matz was on the trade market and then ultimately moved was that, it was time for a fresh start. He he seemed rattled a lot of the times in New York, and he got that fresh start with the Jays last year and was a very effective 
back end starter. I mean, I think he went 14 and seven. He had an ERA under four, uh, a very effective back end starter, of course, in a division where there's plenty of offense to go around. So with the rumors that the Mets are in on signing Mats, who reportedly has like seven offers right now, of course, all these pitchers, we saw the Giants go out and, and get a deal done with Di Scafani already and Wood, and the pitching market moves really, really quickly. You don't want to be sitting there, you know, with your arms folded and go, wow, we, we have no rotation. Uh, so I like that the Mets are being aggressive. But I will say this, Joe, and I have told you this before, I would be a little skeptical of this one. I worry for a lot of reasons of Mats reverting back to uh, falling apart the way he did with the Mets towards the end there. You obviously were, this is not a contract that's going to be a one-year, $7 million deal. Uh, I'll let you get into the expected contract parameters in a bit, but it, it totally makes sense with how the pitching market unfolds. And, and, you know, there's, of course, the side of me that, hey, this would be an awesome story. A Long Island guy that spent so much time with the Mets organization, still keeps in touch with Jacob DeGrom very frequently, you know, has relationships here, has connections here. He'd be walking into a better situation in terms of how this organization is being built up under Steve Cohen. But the more 65, 70% side of me is like, I don't know if this is necessarily the direction I want this team to go. I could see this signing not paying dividends at all, and, and I'm just really nervous, to be honest with you, if this is one of their big pitching moves. So first off, uh, Billy Epler, I want to give him a little compliment because now we're talking about Mats and Baez. Both of those talks, reports are since Epler took over, those talks have accelerated for both of them. So I want to give some Props to Epler, who said he was going to hit the ground running. Everyone says that, but it sounds as if he really has. Uh, so as far as Matt's goes, it ain't for me. Um, like you said, I can give you a case why it makes sense. I mean, for the most part, he makes his starts. Uh, it seems like he has, you know, health issues here and there, and he doesn't really pitch deep into games. But he takes the ball every fifth day, and the Mets could generally use a guy that's doing that. Uh I'm at the point now where, you know, maybe it's a little lazy, but the Mets haven't won in years. I'm kind of over bringing back the same people. Certainly not a huge fan of bringing back someone who we already got rid of because he needed a change of scenery. Uh, so for me, you know, I, I can see it in the sense they need to add two legitimate starting pitchers to the staff. They, of course, need to add more depth behind it, but I'm looking at a rotation where, like them or not, these three guys are going to be a part of it. And that's DeGrom, that's Carrasco, and that's Walker. Think whatever you want. Those guys are a part of the rotation. The Mets have to plan as if they're part of the rotation. Uh, at that point, that gives you two open slots. And I think we both agree that one of those slots should be a upper rotation guy, a Marcus Stroman, a Kevin Gossman, a Max Scherzer, someone of that ilk, or if there's someone on a trade market, a Luis Castillo or whatever. They need an upper part of the rotation guy. And then from there, a back-end guy is fine. Uh, Mats obviously fits, fits the bill, but I just want something different, man. I'm sick of watching the same players that I'm used to watching and expect magically to get some different results. Am I confident that John Gray will be better than Steven Matz in 2022? Maybe not 100% confident, but I'll take my chances. I'd rather sign John Gray instead. Um, Matz is not going to come cheaply. I know I've seen people respond to me on Twitter and stuff. They're like, oh, great. Sign one year, whatever. Steven Matz is probably going to get more than DeSclafani did. I think he's going to get three years. I think he's going to get slightly more than DeSclafani as he's a year younger has a bit more of a proven track record. So like he might be in the three year, you know, 39 to $42 million range, something like that. Like he's going to get some pretty solid money. And I don't, I don't think it's that he's not worth it. Uh, Cause you're worth what the, basically what the market says you are. Uh, I just don't, I just don't want to, I just don't really want to do it. I'd rather find a different guy and, you know, and take my chances elsewhere. I think, what the Mets need to do is not only just change up this core like we've talked about 
a lot over the last couple months. They should just, you know, change up everything. Get new faces in here, as many as you reasonably can. Obviously, you're not going to change out your whole 26-man roster. But when you have the opportunity and a choice as to who you're bringing back, I'd like to see some new faces with, without some preconceived notions of how New York is, without you know having some experiences like Matt's did towards the end where he was basically burnt out of New York and felt he needed a change of scenery, and the Mets agreed, and that's obviously what led to his trade. Uh, but yeah, that's a very long-winded way of saying, I'd rather not, but I guess I could... At, I can understand why they would. I mean, I can make the case that I'd rather just bring Rich Hill back on a one-year deal and fill him in that role where, sure, people are going to go, well, Hill's going to be 42 or whatever. I mean, they're both going to give you five innings most of the time, to be honest with you. That's the reality of it. And for Matt's, there's concerns across the board. I mean, honestly, obviously 2020 in the shortened season, he got shelled to a 9.6 ADRA. 2019, he was not very good. I mean, a 4-2-1 ERA, 27 home runs, got rocked by the long ball. You know, 52 walks. He's not a big strikeout guy. That well, number that was, was always that was the juice ball. Too. That was the juice ball. It was. Yes, and yeah. you could see in 2021 the the non juice ball affect those numbers, right? Because the innings were pretty similar to 18 and 19, but the home runs were down to 18. The walks were down to 43. Strikeouts. Same. He hovers right around 8.6 over 9, which is not an alarming number in any kind of sense. I I don't know. I just, this is one that to me, and and maybe this is like such a fan reaction, it's just an uninspiring kind of play. And and I would root for Steven Matz like anyone else, and I would love to see him write this story of being a local hometown guy that came back and, and got it done. But you don't pay... $40 $40 million deals for potentially nice comeback stories that real reality is it's not going to end that way. So I, I don't know. This is, we defend or, or try to infuse logic into a lot of scenarios. And I do see the logic side. The Mets need pitching. They need a minimum two starters. And you're not going to go out and sign. <laughs> you're not going to go sign like Gosman and Scherzer. That would be great. If you do it, then great. You're probably not going to do that. So you need to get a guy that's in this tier, the Mats tier, to at least start to kind of build that ground foundation to go into the season. Like, okay, now we have like, we have DeGrom. We know Walker Carrasco are going to be back. We have, and I'm using Mats as an example, but a player of Mats's tier for the back end of their rotation. And then, of course, you're going to get involved in the the heavy hitters. You're going to look to either bring back Marcus Stroman. You're going to throw something crazy at Max Scherzer. You are going to be in the Gosman sweepstakes. Uh, you know, not Robbie Ray because that qualifying offer tag. I, we don't think that one's happening. But players of that upper echelon of that, hey, this guy can be the number two on this team. And we've seen Stroman already do that. So that's my overall take on it. I think the fans are going to be all over the place on this one. I think most of them are uh, sharing the same feeling of you and I, Joe, that were just skeptical of seeing that have a happy ending. Like, if they got him for, like, say, the same deal as Di Scafani, right? 336, and he, over those three years, he made his starts and pitched to, like, the same way he pitched in Toronto, a 386 ARA. That's great. But the long sample size of Mats in New York has just not really shown that. So, it's really tough in the sense that when you're looking at how you want to put the innings together. Cause that's really what the Mets are looking to do is how do we, how do we get the innings that we need to do? Cause there's 27, uh, you know, nine innings a game, 27 outs. They just want to be able to get the outs and the innings like Billy Epler said in his press conference. And Mats is going to take the ball every fifth day. There's not a ton of starters in baseball nowadays that you could sort of count on for that. The only issue is, How's he going to pitch? I don't think the upside is there. That's what I'm trying to get at is if they sign Mats, it's probably going to be fine, right? He'll pitch in the four or five slot in the rotation. He'll be okay. He'll have his bad starts. He'll have his good starts. He'll have his media. Like, just like you said, he kind of is what he is. He's probably going to pitch upper threes, low four, ERA. Won't strike out a ton of guys. He'll give up some home runs. He'll have the blow-up starts every so often where he just gets shellacked in the first inning and he has to come out. Um, I just don't I just don't see the upside. And that's really what I'm I'm hunting in the rotation. 
is I want some upside, which is why a guy like John Gray, I've talked about him since the trade deadline. He has great stuff. He has good stat cast uh, numbers. There's reasons to believe that there are better days ahead for John Gray. Whereas a guy like Steven Matz, I don't, you don't look at it and go, well, there's better days ahead. You just assume he's just going to keep being what he is, which is a fine four, five starter getting paid 10 to 12, you know, $13 million a year. That's not like an exorbitant sum for that type of production. I just would rather pursue it elsewhere. Hmm. And maybe that's what happens. Or maybe by the time you're listening to the show, Steven Matz is back in New York. So (laughs) you never know. Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to the mailbag because we got a long one today. The first one from MetsFan04. With Billy Epler's background in scouting, does it concern you at all that he couldn't find any diamonds in the rough in Anaheim, especially when it came to the pitching? Seems like his most successful signings were the big name, big contract guys. Joe, before I toss that to you, uh, the one thing, if I did share that concern with Epler that would sway that away is... The Mets have their draft guys that have been doing this for, what, 10 years and have been doing a really good job with it already. They're not going anywhere. Right. I, I So I'm taking this question more about the major league scouting, where like the they're not finding the Aaron Loops in Anaheim. I'm taking it more along that than, you know, in the draft. And it's a valid question that, you know, I, I really wish I had a good answer to. Um, he just has to prove it, right? Like, there's no reason to sit here and go, Billy Epler's here. He, you know, trust him to do everything. Like, he's going to run baseball ops. He's capable to do it, which is what I said on the podcast last week and on YouTube. But he has questions attached to him with how they built the Angels. He was not able to build a pitching staff at all. Um, they really he even talked about giving out a bunch of one-year deals and basically them all flopping. So you hope that the Mets have a better uh, infrastructure around him to help him make more educated decisions. Uh, And yeah, I can, I think that kind of sums it up that they, they need to do a better job than he did with the angels. And if they don't, then the Mets are not going to progress as we hope. And I think with Epler, you know, something inspiring or at least, you know, can give you a little optimism is when he went to the Angels, he developed his own analytics department. And now with the Mets, he's going to have, you know, all the resources in the world in that area where those are usually where you find your one year deals because you find the trends and data that might show you something that doesn't appear on face value. So and like we always say, maybe he learned from his failures 
throughout that tenure. And, or, you know, there's always the chance that, quite frankly, it's this is a totally valid concern that hampers Epler's tenure here. It's a totally fair question. But, yeah, looking at it from the, the college and, you know, amateur ball scouting, that, that'll never be a problem here. In the big league scouting, it's definitely something that I would say it's the most pressing thing that Joe and I have our eyes on is how is this roster constructed outside of the 10 players that everybody knows and feels good about as staples? You know, who are the guys like VR, right? Like VR is a really uh, positive example of someone that got a bare bones one year deal and played as well as you could have expected. Are you going to be able to find enough of those guys to fill out this team? So, all right. Next one is from NYJ Steve UK. Steve says, would you prefer Seiya Suzuki or Starling Marte as at their expected value slash contract lengths? So I'm going to say Marte. Uh, I think he is, I feel much more confident in the player that he is going to be. Bingo. Uh, for the next three to four years, it'll cost more money than Suzuki, which I think is what makes it an interesting conversation because uh, Suzuki's expected to get four to five years in the range of seven to $10 million a year. Maybe it goes a tick higher, uh, but his market's going to be interesting because this is a guy relocating from Japan. So while they have that 30 day window, and as you pointed out earlier, it'll freeze if you know uh, he's not signed by December 2nd, is there pressure on his end to try to sign in the next week? Because if you're relocating, it's not going from Kansas City to New York. It's going from wherever in Japan to somewhere in the United States. Do you really want to not know your destination until February 15th when you have to report the spring training in a week? Uh, so you wonder, if, you wonder if that market gets escalated a bit. Um, and if it doesn't, you wonder if it's a situation like Tomoyuki Sagano from last year where he was posted, everything went through, and he ended up not signing, and he ended up going back to Japan. So I don't I don't think you could rule out that if Suzuki is not signed prior to the lockout that he ends up back in Japan for one more year, and then we have this conversation again next year. Uh, but for me, it's Marte. I just feel better about what he is. I think he could play center field still, which shifts Nimmo to a, a corner left or right field where his defense will be even better than it was in center field. So, yeah, I'm going Marte, but Suzuki intrigues me a lot. Absolutely. I'm with you. I, I would go with Marte because, because I just think the Mets need sure things as close as they can get them. I like the idea of signing Marte and shifting Nimmo to a corner spot and working things out from there. While with uh, as fun as Seiya Suzuki is, like that – I texted Joe this morning and I said, man, I, the unknown of Suzuki is what is what makes baseball fun, right? Like he can come over here and be the kind of international superstar or not even a star, but like a, you know, an exciting, even an average player. And, and that would be really fun. But I think Marte really gives you a better idea as a piece of the puzzle of what this team looks like defensively in center field, the speed on the bases, and the fact of shifting a guy like Nimmo to a corner spot. So it's a really good question. And of course, there is the the absolute note that Marte is going to be more money. Uh, he's older. You're talking about a 27-year-old compared to a 33-year-old. But I think there's, you know, like everything else, there's the pros and cons. I just feel more comfortable with Marte. All right. The next one from Steve Miller. Does Epler coming to the Mets mean any and everyone, minus the Grom, Pete, and Lindor, are pieces he is willing to dispose of to get his own guys in? He has little to no ties to anyone, so will that mean he feels free to move them if needed? I hope so. Uh, that's, I mean, honestly, that's what I want out of a general manager. When you bring in someone new from the outside, the whole point is that you're hoping they come in without the bias or clout like like it or not sandy alderson's been around a while um the assistants have been around a while everyone within the organization so they automatically have their own sort of bias takes on people that they've been around for years it's it's sort of unavoidable it's the human impact of baseball uh we talk so much about the analytics and the numbers but like that kind of stuff exists uh epler comes in presumably not knowing anyone or much of anyone in this organization so 
I think he should, if he actually has the power to make whatever decision he wants, I'm hopeful he comes in with an open mind and basically challenges uh, the people in place and say, why should I like Dom Smith? Why should I like Jeff McNeil? Why should I like J.D. Davis? And, you know, go down the list from there. I, that's my hope is that, you know, it doesn't mean I'm hoping he comes in and just trades everybody away and makes, you know, a whole brand new team. But I hope he's challenging people and, uh, you know, being able to bring his and put his own stamp on the organization. I'm with you. Eliminate the emotional ties, right? I think when you look at Sandy, how long he has been associated or, you know, involved at the top of this franchise with the Brody tenure in between, Sandy has a lot of original ties to guys that are now in this organization going back to when they were drafted when Sandy was at the top of that as well. So I think that makes it tough, right? You draft all those guys, you really put this whole thing together, you get so close in 2015, and then you're always wondering, you know, should we move this guy? Does it make sense to move this guy? With Epler, you get a totally fresh perspective of, you know, I, I it's it's takes away some of the human element of the game, but that is a very real thing when you work in a front office executive role that you need to look at how you're getting your production. And the Mets are clearly a team that are not aligned the right way. I mean, when you just look at it, they have players without positions, whether it's JD Davis, for example, or someone like Dom that's there's no opening at first base, plays left, but did not produce like a corner outfielder. You have somebody like Conforto who has had good years here, but every time you think he's turning the corner of being a superstar, he falls short of that. And how do you treat that? Because he's still a young player that you always tell yourself, hey, that breakout could be coming. And that goes across to the pitching. It goes across to the entire team. So, you know, for me last year when they traded for Lindor, to me it was the start of, okay, franchise player, along with Pete Alonso being here, but now you really need to get the you know, pieces around them that this meshes together the right way. And that's why Epler's here. And, and he has the power to, like you said, you're not blowing this up, but maybe, sh- you know, maybe shipping out a guy, whether it's McNeil, whether it's JD, something's got to give. Uh, this was a team that it just didn't seem like they had a killer instinct in them when they were in first place for so long. And why is that? It doesn't make sense to me. That, that to me, is complacency in a sport that, yes, the season is long, and, yes, it's easy to get that way, uh, but it's unacceptable. And maybe you need to bring in different guys that don't play like that. They play like every single game is a game that matters, and they know when to go for the kill and build that big lead and, and just show a little bit of different life. So hopefully uh, that's the kind of changes that Epler can make. All right. Next one, insane Mets fan. Would you guys want the Mets to exceed the luxury tax by $40 million plus, which would result in dropping 10 spots in the draft from 11th overall to 21st overall if it meant the Mets would be competitive? Uh, Joe, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even know that was a stipulation in the current CBA with the luxury tax. My understanding is that's for repeat offenders. I could okay. be wrong. Um, I could be wrong. So uh, if I am wrong, I apologize. Uh Certainly, the CBA rules can be quite confusing, and it's not exactly like the Mets have operated around the luxury tax very often, so I've never had to concern myself too often with uh, all of the ins and outs of the luxury tax rules, uh, but my understanding is that's a for a multi-time offender. I don't think that's a first-time offender. I think it's, at that point, just, you know, just money. Uh, obviously, it's whatever amount over you pay a percentage of that amount and Basically, it's just a, a financial penalty. So I don't believe that they would be going down in the draft. I think that's only for repeat offenders. So I appreciate the question. And uh, I guess my answer, if it were the case, would be I'd rather not. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's the case for the Mets this year. But this is a conversation, depending on how the new collective bargaining agreement goes, this could be a conversation that we have next year. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so... Oh, man. Yeah, I'm trying to go through the rules right now, but essentially that could be the case. If any case exceeding 250 million places, another tax, the club's highest available pick moves back 10 spots in the next draft. I do think that is for a third time offender. But once again, could be wrong. There's a lot of fine print 
um, <laughs> within the CBA. So that's something we'll keep an eye on. That would be pretty hard to do. That's a lot of money to go over. I guess essentially not yeah, really well, if you just bought everyone, but you know, that's a pretty so, big number. So, so think about that. Uh, so right now I have the Mets around $186 million uh, for a luxury tax payroll. Last year, I think the tax was 208 or so. Um, going $40 million over really ain't that hard where, where the Mets are. If they give Javi Baez $25 million, they're at the luxury tax. So you're basically saying you won't spend $40 million on two starting pitchers, an outfielder or two, maybe a third baseman, and then general depth pieces. I find it hard to believe you're going to get a much impact while spending less than that. Yeah, when you look at it, someone, it'd be difficult. yeah, yeah, when you look at someone like the Dodgers, you know they've obviously had to be pretty aware of this uh, going over and, and really blowing past it. Uh, and you know we've even heard someone like Steve Cohen kind of hint at this, like when they were negotiating, unfortunately, with Trevor Bauer, it was a situation of like, hey, if we're going to do this, we are going to blow this out of the water. So. <laughs> And what the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Yankees and what those teams do is they go over the tax. And get back under, right? And then they get back under. So you go under for a couple of years, you hop under for a year, which is why it's important that the Mets are smart with the money they issue. So yes, the payroll, they'll have a high payroll, but it's important that you don't tie way too much money into long-term money because you need to have that opportunity to get back under while not completely sacrificing that season so it's a uh, it'll take some shrewd management hmm. all right great question by the way and something that we will uh be keeping an eye on to, to fully understand because the Mets like you said Joe are kind of in that ballpark of they can they can get there it would not be nuts especially with a lot of the leftover fat salary they still have on this books like Robinson Cano so all right last question of today's show. I, I picked this one because it's broad. It's simple. I think the answer is hell yes, but I will toss this to you, Joe. Diesel Donnie asks, do you think Cohen goes all in this year? I get, I, I would love to just say hell yes, or, or I, I, what is all in? Like what classifies all in this is all in mean. He signs Starling Marte, Javi Baez, Marcus Stroman, uh, and just goes crazy and just signs all stars. If that is the definition of all in, then no, I don't think he does. Um, but if all in means the Mets will improve the roster, they'll make a big move or two and they'll have one of the top payrolls in baseball. Then yeah, I think he will go all in. Like I've said it on this podcast, been quoted. I think the Mets will have the highest payroll in baseball this year. Luxury tax payroll. Will they maybe be two or three? Sure, it's possible. But they're going to be right up against the highest in baseball. So to me, I guess that's kind of going all in. But it really depends on what your def definition of all in is. And based on my Twitter mentions, it feels like a lot of people think all in is signing star sign after everyone. star after star. Yeah. yeah, and just sign everyone. Um, and I don't want them to do that. I know it's not popular. I've I had quite Twitter discussions today about kind of overall perspectives. You know, I'm not, it may not seem right as I'm a Mets fan. I've, I've always had a long-term big picture vision as long as I can remember. Like when I was 11, 12 years old, uh, I used to find my way into in-school suspension for a day whenever I could. Cause I really, cause I really liked the in-school suspension teacher. He would, he showed me like we would play Stratomatic um, like just talk baseball. Like when I was 11, 12 years old, when I grew up, I wanted to be a general manager of a baseball team. Everyone else wanted to be, you know, fireman, doctor, athlete. Like I wanted to run a baseball team. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I've always had a big picture mindset when it comes to how I look at baseball. I have never once been like, it has to happen this year. It's just not, it's not how I'm wired. It doesn't make me, right or wrong uh but that's kind of how i've always looked at it like i don't think they need to go quote unquote all in at any point i think they just need to 
build a really good, sound, deep roster. And then when the trade deadline comes around, if there's the right fit to bring someone in to quote unquote, put you over the top for that year, go for it. But I'll never be the guy that just says, go, you know, balls to the wall, all in, in an off season. It's just not, I'm not wired that way, unfortunately. No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I think it's it's different in baseball, right? Because it's a huge conversation right now in the NFL with the Rams who are doing things in a way that we just don't often see. They are trading all of their draft picks. They are living in a salary cap window of a sense that you better go win a Super Bowl this year, right? Like that and maybe next maybe you get next year as well. But with baseball, you know, there's The definition of all-in is interesting. There is the whole conversation about the luxury tax. If you're going over, I feel like no matter how much leftover fat cap you're dealing with from bad contracts, if you're over the tax, it feels like you're all-in because you've made a lot of significant moves in free agency to get there or on the trade market or most likely both, to be honest with you. To answer the question, I do think Steve Cohen is going to be all-in this year, not in a sense of, you got to win the World Series this year because I, I go back to what you said, Joe. I do think there is a mindset to build a sustainable product here where they are competing to win this division every single year. But is he all in on like this team is going to I'm going to do everything I can financially for this team to win a lot of baseball games and start to steal some headlines in this town, right? That has very bad professional football right now a Yankees team that has seemed to frustrate their fan base in every single way. And for a a Mets team that they are playing in a division with the most recent world series champions, there's a lot of opportunity there to make some noise and to, and last year was a nice start, right? You traded for a Lindor, you made some signings, but now you can start to see the blueprint of your baseball team in year number two because it's okay we had you know year one to get things off the ground now we have year two to add the pieces to the very small foundation we made and the small foundation that we came in with like Pete Alonso for for example Brandon Nimmo players like that Jacob DeGrom so I do think you'll see an all-in mentality that Mets fans are not used to now does that mean I think all-in to winning is different than all-in for the World Series, is what I mean. Like, if this was a team, right, that we sat, say they did make the playoffs last year, and say they got bounced, you know, whatever you want to say, divisional series, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, say they got bounced before the World Series, all-in to me would be that you're going to give Max Scherzer literally whatever he wants. And you don't care that the clock is probably ticking on a guy that's approaching 40, he's been tremendous, you don't care. That to me is like the all-in move. Like this is the thing we need. We need a frontline starter, an ace next to Jacob Degrom, um, and maybe they do do that this year. That to me though is the difference between like World Series one piece away, or hey, we need pieces to actually go win right now. When all is said and done, I think Mets fans are going to be very happy with the manner that the Steve Cohen Mets operate in. I think so too. And and it's very often like when I talk and you and I talk about sustained success and, you know, big picture thinking for whatever reason, people just often associate with that with like, I don't care if the Mets win or not, or like, I want them to win right now. But to your point, do you go all in as in this is we're building a World Series team in the offseason? Because I'm going to tell you more often than not, the teams that build the quote unquote world series winners in the off season do not win the world series no. when you play actual baseball. So you really just want to build a contender, uh, a quality roster and you know, they're going to spend big. There's no denying it. Like you said, they might try to give Max Scherzer the, I, you can't turn me down type of Godfather offer. Uh, they might do that and they're going to do some significant things. The payroll is going to be high. Um, they should have visions of being a playoff team in 2022. Um, with that said, the whole World Series mentality that that's something you address at the trade deadline. Uh, for me, Great that's point. how I that's how I look at it. You build a team to be a winner. You see how the first three months go, and you go, okay, now we're in position. Because at the end of the day, 
you're not going to fill every single hole on a roster in one off season to, to your satisfaction. Like you'll be able to, like you'll have someone like maybe they don't go and spend good money on a third baseman, or maybe they don't, maybe they get a lesser back end starter than we're talking. Maybe it's not even a Steven Matz or a John Gray. Maybe it's someone a step below that. You just want to fill the spots adequately with people that can do the job. And then when the trade deadline comes, you're going to have injuries. You're going to have underperformance. You're going to have things that sort of shake up how you visualize the team going into the season. And at that that point, you go, all right, this is what we need. This is how we're going to do it. And then you go and do it. And then you try and make a run. Like, I mean, the Braves last offseason, I wasn't looking at the Braves like that team's winning the World Series. Like, I knew they were successful. I knew they were a good roster. I knew they could win the NL East. I thought the Mets could as well. And for a lot of the season, the Mets were winning. And then, obviously, it fell apart, and the Braves took over, and then they made that run. But, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's as necessary as, I guess, some people do that the Mets win the offseason, so to speak, where you look at it and you go, Ugh. They're going to the World Series because they signed this, that, and the other. And it just it just never works out that way. The Padres, that's the Padres last year. They went, they got you Darvish, they went, they got Blake Snell, like they signed Hassan Kim. They made all these moves, and the Padres were going to dethrone the Dodgers and you know go and win the World Series because they were loaded. They did not make the playoffs, just like the Mets. So don't always win it in the offseason, but obviously you have to make moves to take that step because I'm over the Mets winning 70 games too. So it's time to take a step forward. And like you said, last year, Cohen made a statement with Lindor. He made other moves. Like you said, VR worked out. Taiwan Walker, even though his second half wasn't so good, that was a great contract. Um, so they made some moves. They added some pieces. And now it's how do you build on that? That's the key question. How do you build it from here? And I think it's got to be a little bit of everything, right? The financial flexibility in free agency is is a total game changer for this franchise. But can you make a creative trade that swings things your way? Uh, can you, you know, uncover some more draft gems, which I think they've done. They've actually, it's probably the thing that's kept them afloat, to be honest with you. Like a second rounder like Pete Alonso, for instance, you know, there's so many guys that we can go through with this team that was drafted by this team uh, that punched above their weight class and where they were selected. So, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, it's it's really the right mentality to turn things over quickly, right? Buying stars, and then you need to fill the gaps. And like you said, this is a team that needs to be not competitive enough, but ultra competitive at the trade deadline that you know what they are. Do they need a frontline starter at the trade deadline that you're going to be talking about trading a big-time prospect? Do they just need you know, a reliever and a lefty bat? There's totally different ways, but it would be nice to go to a trade deadline where they are competing or holding off first place and you actually know what's needed. And as always, this is a team that the injuries, they can't stay out of their own way with the injuries. And that's something that, you know, obviously you can invest more money in your training staff department, but that's something that even Steve Cohen uh, can't predict. And that's why a lot of teams don't have that all-in mentality on one single year in baseball because there's too many unpredictable natures of the game. So with that being said, Joe, closing thoughts on episode 69, the episode number that Nomad has ever worn. So... I'm thinking, uh, obviously, we have the holiday coming up. And again, happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I'm thinking, uh, I, I hope you're around this weekend because we're we're on nine days from now. Baseball shutting down. If the, Mets are, if the Mets are to make it any noise prior to this lockout, uh, we're going to have to get on the dusty old YouTube. <laughs> yes, that is absolutely right. Anything the Mets... Uh... Sorry, Aaron Loop leaving did not warn a YouTube video. I'm sorry, everyone. But that that's probably the line, I would say. That's just below the line. We did do a live stream when Epler officially got hired. We did the pod the day Cindergard left, so we weren't going to double up on that. But 
Hopefully this is a team that brings back Javi Baez, makes a couple moves. I, I'm going to say, Joe, Steven Matz might even warrant a YouTube video. What do you think of that? I, I think it would warrant Reluctantly. a video. Yeah, I think it would warrant a video, and hopefully this time we'll have our technology figured out and we'll be able to uh, get the questions on the screen and everything like all We have the fans. green light from YouTube yeah. now. Oh, we're good? All right, yeah. cool. So, yes, if the Mets make a move, we're going to cover it. And, uh, you know, like we mentioned, if you watched the live last week, which hundreds of you did, uh, it's it's there one of those dozens. things that... Dozens yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was plenty of us to talk about it. And, uh, you know, we're going to do lives not, not exclusively around moves. We're going to, when we have, you know, some time, we'll just hop on and do it for fun and... Uh, just, you know, we do these questions every week on the podcast. And basically, if I ask for questions, you all come hot and heavy with plenty of them. So I'm thinking if we're live and you all have the opportunity to join, it's basically just doing this segment that we do every week on the podcast, just live. And you unfortunately get to see my face as part of it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, just having the live comments, questions, uh, input, it's basically your input on the show. There's things that Joe and I which we agree on a lot of things and it's good when somebody doesn't and they interject and it's, we're not going to read it and be like, Oh, you're an idiot. It's like, Oh, okay. Maybe some people see it this way. We'll see how it plays out. So uh, definitely subscribe to the YouTube. Always stay subscribed to the podcast because that is the quickest way to download it on Tuesday evenings or Wednesday mornings. Thank you so much, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.